Hey everybody, we are super pleased to announce our new sponsor, Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. The goal? Power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. And the best part? Marvel Strike Force just reached its six-year anniversary, which means free stuff when you sign up via our unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. Just complete each event, and you'll receive special awards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and every week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. If we have received a unique promo code for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Again, anybody uses that code, it is unique for all new users. Check it out. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast of board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And this is episode 458, BGA Awards for 2023. We'd like to thank all our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. All right, friends, we are back and we are celebrating the greats of the great. It's been a great year of board gaming. And for this episode, the super feature episode, we are going to be featuring the top games of the year. Yes, yes, it is the time in which we do this, the middle of January of 2024. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what? I honestly, whenever I hear like the best of episode and they're like, we recorded this at the beginning of December. I'm like, that's not the end of the year. You could have missed games. (laughs) You had time to play more games. So. We like to take the holiday break and play through anything that we missed and get as many of these games in as we can so that we can be not impartial necessarily because there's still plenty of games we missed, but to touch on as many games as possible. And 2023 year was such a good year for games. So we really wanted to get a lot in Um, to the point where this year we don't just have a game of the year. We have a top 10 games of the year. Pow. I know. So many, <laughs> so many good games this year. We had to do a top 10. 
Yeah, I think this year required some extra contemplation to ensure that we had the game of the year. So (laughs) to be fair, when you listen to other games of the year, they're like, oh, that is also a game of the year. But is it game of the year? It is not. This is is not year. No, it is their game of the year. This is the game of the year. The game of the year, people. There, there are no other games of the year. This is the one. We trademarked the the before game of the year, so it's always the game of the year. The. 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 That's right. The definitive article, not the indefinite article. See? See, that's That's coming from the English teacher here. Yep, yep. It is the game of the year. MFA here in the house, just saying. It's happening. (laughs) So Um, we will be dropping some tremendous categories on you with some tremendous games. And Anthony, again, a great year. It really was. Yeah, like, again, we've talked about this before. Like, last year was fine, but we struggled a little bit at the end of the year. Like, what is our game of the year? I'm like, I guess this one? (laughs) The best of the year. Yeah, right? Like, it was was tough. Despite the fact it was the best game of the year, it was tough to come to the conclusion that War of the Ring, the card game, which we both loved, Loved came out like two weeks before the end of the year. And we're like, I guess this is fine. Um, I don't even think we played it until the new year. I might've played it right at the end of December. Mm-hmm. So the rest of the year, fine. And you know, Ark Nova came out last year. A lot of people love that. S- several other really good games. It just wasn't our year this year. However, we really struggled with lots and lots of good games. That's why we made a top 10. Absolutely. So with that, let's get started and let's jump into our games of the year, Anthony. What's our first category? All right. Uh, the first one's pretty easy because there weren't a lot of nominations. Best digital implementation. Ooh. So this is specifically board games that have been converted into digital versions of that board game. Probably through Steam, also potentially through iOS or Google Play. So it's not like and, and like I know tongue in cheek for the gift guide i mentioned Baldur's gate 3 it's dungeons and dragons but in a video game we did not include that here no nope. probably would have won if we had but we did not because that's not a digital implementation of a board game these are analogs the, yep so we have two nominees here that came out that were big ish or big in 2023 we had dune imperium and unmatched and if if you listen to our coverage of unmatched i'm pretty sure you know the answer to this one Chris, what is our game of the year for digital implementation? Our game of the year for best digital implementation is Dune Imperium. Bam, baby. Just saying. Yeah. Yeah. So it it's not that Dune Imperium is the only one left. It is actually a very good implementation of Dune. We've both played this game probably dozens of times at this dozens, point. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, unmatched is terrible and expensive, so <laughs> yeah. It also is the default winner, but it's also a very good winner. So if you haven't played it yet and you like Dune Imperium, definitely check it out. Yeah, Dune Imperium does the one thing that so many board games have not done up to this point in a meaningful way, and that is be the board game. Right. <laughs> Just do the board game. That's all I'm asking you to do. Just do the board game. I buy the game. I own the game. I like the game. A digital version of the game comes out. I want to play that game. And then I buy that. And 
some monstrosity on my computer or iPhone or whatever else I'm playing on, tablet. And I'm just like, but why? Why did you have to do that? You had a fantastic game and then for some reason felt compelled to put it in a blender and have some parts just 20 times larger than necessary and other things shrunk to like, I don't know, instantensal kind of, it just quantum levels of just problems. Dune Imperium, if you played the board game on some level, which is a very close level, you've played the digital implementation because that's what it is. Yes. Yeah. It's great. Um, and you know what? Like Direwolf Digital does really good work. They've done eight full digital adaptations in the last couple of years. This is the most recent one, but they also did Root, which is amazing. Everdell, very good. Sagrada, very good. Fox in the Forest. Um, really, their only dud in recent years is Munchkin. And yeah, that's been a problem. Yeah. And that's a game where, like, why did you even bother? I don't know. <laughs> that's not a game that should be digital. So generally, they do very good work. And this is not surprising at all. And it's their own game because they designed the game in the first mm-hmm. place. So Dune, Imperium, Digital, amazing. And that is our winner for this year. Congratulations. Great game. Great interface. Great features. Uh, competitions, challenges, AIs, skirmishes. The only thing it's missing and no fault of its own is it needs expansions. Yep. I'm sure they're coming. Okay. I'm happy with that then. All yeah. right, Anthony, what's our next category? All right. Next up, we have best family game. So these are lighter games, games that you'd be comfortable bringing to the table with your family, with your children, with your loved ones over the holidays. So basically not the big, heavy stuff that we usually talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, we have several nominees this year. Lots of good family games came out in 2023. First up, Dorf Romantic, the board game. This was the winner of the Spiel des Jahres, which is the definitive family game award globally. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a implementation of the video game Dorf Romantic, and it's a cooperative tile laying game, kind of a puzzle solving thing. Um, great game. I love it. Star Wars, the deck building game. This is a Star Wars version of Star Realms, not officially, but unofficially. That's exactly what it is. Um, two player back and forth deck building game. Fantastic. Really hope they bring expansions, but probably not with the CCG coming out next year. Race to the Raft, uh, a tile lane game in which you're trying to get a bunch of cats off an island to escape a fire. Um, so we got polyominoes, we got cats. It's not Isle of Cats, but it is escaping fires <laughs> with cats. Um, Imperial Miners. So this game uses the Imperial Settlers theme and artwork. It really has nothing to do with it otherwise, but as a game, it still works really well. So uh, you have the multi-layer, you're trying to, you're digging down into the ground four levels deep, and then you are building a tableau that will then trigger all these different uh, effects as you work your way back up. And you're trying to build your engine so it triggers in a way that maximizes the benefits you get. Very clever, very interesting, and it works really well for kids because it's and just families in general, because despite that sounding complicated, it really narrows the decision tree quite a bit. So you can do a cool engine buildy thing, but without it being overwhelming. Uh, in the footsteps of Darwin is a set collection game in which you are traveling around this grid of different tiles and exploring with the beagle and finding these various mostly animals, but occasionally explorers. Uh, and then Sea Salt and Paper, 
uh, I know a game, Chris, you enjoyed quite a bit. Um, is a fantastic addition this year, like small box, very clever kind of origami cell artwork on the cards. So we have one, two, three, four, five, six different nominees for best family game of the year. Lots and lots of good games here. All these are fantastic. I think almost all these got, we got, we gave buys as well on our reviews. So it's not even like, yeah, like very solid year for family level games. And I I think this is a very important category and one that's often overlooked or sometimes I see a lot of people just dumping very silly, nonsensical games on here, but you want something that plays with every member of your family, whether it's age or any particular demographic that you might think or see. And I think a lot of times it's been a mishmash of like, this is a party game. This is a heavy game. This is a game where you throw things at each other, or mm-hmm. this is a game where you say uh, poo-poo jokes because you flipped a card over or something like that. And it's just, it's not really given the consideration that it deserves. Right. So I, I appreciate, you know, the, the levels of care and intelligence and craftsmanship get into all these games because any of these games you could get to the table and enjoy and love with so many different types of people in that same group in that same game and that is no small feat so congratulations to all of these again these are all buys for us yeah so the best family game of the year anthony it's imperial miners there you go buddy you did it yeah yeah, it is uh, surprising. I didn't think this game would be good because it kind of announced it out of nowhere. It just kind of dropped. It just popped up. And you're like, oh, they're slapping on the Imperial Settlers theme again on a random game designed by somebody else. Guess what? It's clever. It's interesting. It has a lot of space for this, for decision making. It, it really works well. That's fantastic. And again, a game that plays with kids and families, plays with people who are not necessarily big time gamers and even hardcore gamers like yourself, Anthony. And I know I'm looking forward to playing it as well. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Anthony, what's up our next category? All right. Best strategic gameplay. This is like our designated wheelhouse. This is what we talk about Mm -hmm. every week. Um, And we have 10 games here. So it's obviously it's been a year because last year, we did not have 10 games. <laughs> <laughs> we had four. <laughs> Looking at the list from last year, we we thought of four strat- strategic gameplay games last year. Um, so let's run them down real quick. First up, Atiwa. This is Uwe Rosenberg's bat game. Uh, it's got a big bat on the cover. I love it. I'm sorry, wrong. Oh, man, that'd be even better. Get on it, Rosenberg. Um Marrakesh, Stefan Feld's only new game in the City series. We have Darwin's Journey, uh, Simone Luciani's game that I think we kickstarted seven years ago or whatever. <laughs> it was quite a journey, but a bump. Yeah, yeah it it finally showed up, and we played it. <laughs> we did. Uh, Age of Innovation, uh, Terra Mystica one point seven five. It's Terra Mystica in a different realm right or a different yeah. universe yeah i think that's the fair. future the technology is real now I don't, something like that yeah um nucleum which is barrage plus nucleum age of <laughs> but age of rails or something mixed Spirium. in there. i don't know it's got spirit it. <laughs> it's got spirit in there for sure 
Um, hegemony, which is like root plus, I don't know, politics? social justice, social politics. Justice. Yeah, yeah. Class warfare, uh, you know. Yep. Yeah, it's all mixed in there. Uh, Barcelona, which is bored and dice finally getting rid of their ugly, boring, bland artwork, but also good game. And it's not a T game. <laughs> it's not a T game. It's a B game. <laughs> I appreciate they broke out of that T mold. That's all I'm saying. Yes. Yeah, it's for, for real. Yeah, also a very good game. And again, also about city planning and building and some level of social justice as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, distilled alcohol. <laughs> No social justice. You're just <laughs> brewing alcohol. <laughs> um, this is an interesting game. It has like all these layers on it that make you think it's a big heavy game, but at the end of the day, it's like a press your luck deck, like yeah, hand building game, and that's all it is. Which is it's cool, it's good, but it's yeah, not nearly as heavy as the box makes it. No, look. no, no. Uh, Horseless carriage, the new splatter game, our first one in almost ten years. Yeah, I mean it's a, a return to basics for them. It is. It has a lot of elements of their previous games, so there is some tile arrangement, so some Tetris skills are necessary, but then there's a, a high level of marketing and tactical and strategic gameplay that's absolutely necessary, and it's a splatter. It is through and through a splatter. Yep. And then last but not least uh, of our 10 strategic gameplay games, we have Moon. The third in the trilogy from Sinister Fish Games and Haken Garter. Um, we have people rushing to build lunar bases in mm -hmm. this nice, beautiful tableau builder. Yeah, Sinister Fish knows how to pack a lot in a little box. And yeah, they did so at Moon, although I think this is it. I think they can't go heavier than this and still fit it, fit it in the box. It's it's getting up there towards a three, which <laughs> yes. for this, the size of the box, I'm like, that's impressive. But if you do more than that, I feel like you're going to give people a headache. So we're done, right? We're Absolutely. Done. And again, all of these games, I believe, are buys for us as well. Yeah, yeah. which is insane to me that we had 10 heavy strategy games that at least one of us thought was a buy in 2023. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think some of these we don't necessarily agree on 100%, but sure. overall, between the two of us, we loved all 10 of these games. And have played all of them multiple times. And, and it I, just had an absolute blast. And I think it's impressive that each of these games, because we're talking about best strategic gameplay. And yeah. I, we've talked about this topic a lot, and, and maybe we should return to it again, maybe like in episode zero. What makes board gaming so great? And for me, it's about making interesting decisions. And I think when you think about interesting decisions, you think about strategic gameplay. And each of these games are very different from each other. It's not like, yeah. here's three deck builders and two worker placement games. Like, no, no. These are all very different from each other. And different themes, different mechanics, different publishers across the board, and all just great, great strategic gameplay. So, Anthony, it's I have to ask you. Best strategic gameplay game of the year? I know. It's so hard. This yeah. was actually really hard. I feel like this was the one we talked about the most um, ahead of time. Yeah. Because, like you said, the themes are so different. We've got, like, sustainability in Ghana versus Darwin traveling the Earth versus... <laughs> Distilled. You know, the, 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 <laughs> brewing alcohol or making cars yeah. or, you know, populating the moon. Um, but at the end of the day, the game for us that was the best strategic gameplay of 2023 was... 
nuclear. Boom. A game of nuclear power about 50 years before people actually had nuclear power. So we get that steampunk element. You've got the, like, what would happen if nuclear power popped up during the Industrial Revolution? You got nuclear. So you got route building. You've got kind of that brass-ish element of trying to manage where resources go and how you use them to generate power, to execute what you're trying to accomplish. Um, There's a lot packed into this game. And like we talked about this the first time we played it, if they had packed any more into this game, it might have pushed itself off of our list because it would have been too much. But it's just enough. It's balanced really well. You're always making interesting decisions. You're always building towards something. And it, it just works in a way that doesn't seem like it should, but it really just all comes together. And again, talking about interesting decisions, the whole game, at least the mechanics of the game, is based around these small tiles that have special actions on them. And you have to make the dire decision of playing these tiles for their actions or putting them out on the board for the connections that you're going to need in order to build and do anything at all in the game. So it's such a challenge to kind of figure out like, at what point does this action not really do enough for me that I'm going to sacrifice it out to the board, but now I have less actions. So I have to get more of those tiles, but am I giving something up that I'm not going to be able to do because the market doesn't have it available to me? And then like at the same time, I have to ensure that there's enough actions on my board so that I can reap as much production that particular round because of the number of tiles that are up there. But then again, if I don't have enough tiles out there linking the systems together, I can't run my nucleum or my coal through the system in order to generate power to get the buildings out of there. So it really does a very good job of making a very complicated and challenging game, very streamlined and accessible. And that's pretty surprising. And that's what really what we look for, for a great strategic gameplay. It really is. Yeah. And we've gotten a lot of euros in the last like two, three years, especially from board and dice who we love, but a lot of them have just been like same mechanics we're used to mm-hmm. a lot of bland decisions, a lot of bland artwork and nucleum. We're like, we're excited for, but at the same time, a little hesitant of, and it just exceeded all of those expectations. And even beyond the artwork, I think, I don't know if you would agree with this, Anthony, the running gag about the T games, which I know is, I shouldn't necessarily make fun of it because I know it's something that they hold dear. But the problem with it is not just the artwork, but just the gameplay has been so mid throughout that very few of their T games, they've all blended and blurred together. Not just because of artwork, but because also because of gameplay. Which is a shame because some of them have really cool mechanics that stand out. Absolutely. And then you forget about them. Like Trismegistus with those dice mechanics. Uh Uh-huh. It's so clever and interesting. It's hard to learn, but there's a lot going on there. And yet, at the same time, I'm like, T games. I don't know. <laughs> Tantuacan is good. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then the rest kind of blend together. Yeah, exactly. All right. Anthony, All right. What's next up? Next up, we have our overlooked gem of the year. So this is a game that we don't feel enough people are talking about. We talked about them. We played them. We reviewed them. but. Are other people discussing them? Are they ranked highly enough? If we look at Board Game Geek, are enough people reviewing them? 
And the answer is no. And we haven't heard enough people say things about these games that we love in a positive way. So we've nominated five games this year uh, for this award. Uh, six, actually. Uh, first up, in kind of order of which we played them, uh, Rebuilding Seattle. This game is we played at PAX 2022 in a preview build. It came out in February of last year. And it kind of just dissipated. Mm-hmm. We didn't hear much about it. We were really hot on the game. Loved really it. enjoyed it. Yeah. We're we're waiting for people to be psyched about it, and it just it did not manifest. It did not happen. People were not excited about this game in the way we thought they would be. Um, it's quick. It's strategic. It's interesting. Lots of good decisions to be made, and yet just not a lot of buzz. Uh, Mind bug first contact. I think outside of the people who backed the Kickstarter, I have not heard much about this game at all. Mm-hmm. It is a very quick, very very quick tactical two player card game from Richard Garfield. Um, So like Magic the Gathering, but like with 10 cards and it takes 15 minutes. So just a fantastic quick version of that. Um, New stuff coming next year. So hopefully more people talking about it then. Uh, Votes for women. And, you know, we say overlooked gem, but I feel like this game has gotten a lot of buzz at the end of the year. So we made our list and then I've seen it pop up on a lot of end of year lists, which is amazing. I'm glad it has. Um, but this game has done a lot of interesting things. It's one of the first games from uh, the the publisher and from the designer as well, I believe. And it's about the women's suffrage movement. And it's a card-driven game similar to Twilight Imperium or uh, 1960, Making the President or any of those other games like that. Um, but has a really interesting push and pull mechanic between, you know, suffragettes and the people like kind of working against them and like the power dynamic between them and how that plays out and who has access to what is really cleverly done in the game. Um, it, it's, it's still in our overlooked gem category. I don't know if it's as overlooked as it had been earlier in the year. And I'm glad for that. I'm really glad people are like taking notice of this game. Um, Waffle time is a game we played at Gen Con. We got a review copy of Gen Con. I think it's just now coming out here in January. Um, but it was like one of those, you know, AEG dumps a bunch of games on us for review and we're like, these are fine. And then waffle time. We're like, actually, this one's amazing. This is pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Putting some fruit and whipped cream on a waffle. This is great. Um, revive is, uh, the new game from the team behind, uh, the magnificent as well as, um, Santa Maria, um, Santa Maria kind of famously just has a terrible theme. <laughs> Like they should redo that. Um, Magnificent is amazing, but kind of fell under the radar because it came out in 2020 um, after a 2019 Essen launch. And so Revive is like the first game that kind of hit mass market and everybody got a chance to play it and there wasn't something weird about it. Um, It's got a a weird post-apocalyptic vibe to it. And I think that kind of pushed it down a little bit because it's not really clear what the game is doing. Uh, But it has a lot of interesting, clever ideas behind it that I found fascinating. And then last on our list here is Mindspace. This is one of the games from all all play games in one of their like three packs. I think it was with Chomp and Sale. So again, you're buying three games. This is one of the three. It's a roll and write game um, in which you're like coloring in places on like a human brain. And it really works in a way that a lot of recent roll and writes have not. Like it's color coded, which is interesting. Each of the colors corresponds to different abilities. And it does stuff in a way that is always engaging and feels feels kind of the way I got from Welcome 2, but like quicker, much quicker. 
um, which is honestly with all the kind of the mediocre rolling rights of the last five years is amazing. Like this is a good one. And it kind of fell through the cracks because it was in that three pack uh, of a Kickstarter. So there you go. Overlook gems. Chris, what do you think? I think it's been a, a great year. And again, there's so many great games coming out. There's just endless numbers of great games coming out there. And for many reasons, some of it is social media kind of blindness. Some of it's just the fact of the deluge of all kind of those great games coming out there. But of course, uh, these are great games that you should all get played. And these are buys from all of us um, on one, one person or the other because they're overlooked and you should be playing them. <laughs> but Anthony, one of these overlooked gems is so overlooked and so gemtastic <laughs> that it deserves to be shined up even a little bit more, polished to perfection. That game is? That game is Rebuilding Seattle, my friend. Whoa! Because I, I really didn't want this to be the overlooked gem of the year because I wanted everybody to find it and play it and love it and for it to be on everybody's top 10 list. I think the only top 10 list I've seen it on is Tom Vassell's, which, you know what, Tom? You go, man. That's great. This is a good game, and it deserves to be up there. Um, this game is in my top 10, uh, which I'll be posting on uh, the Patreon in the next week or so, and then mm-hmm. it's on the website the week after that. Um, it's my number two game of the year. Whoa! Um, it is amazing. I love this game. I've played it so many times since we first played it at PAX. Um, not just because I'm from Seattle, because honestly, the Seattle part of the game is kind of watered down because they didn't actually use the names of anything. Mm-hmm. They're like, library science center and i'm like come on pier i'm like not pier it's a specific pier come on um but it's just a really good polyomino based strategy game it's so good how and like i really there's so many good games on this list and this is the one that stands out to me like why didn't more people play this game and my friend how good is this game it's so good that the guy who doesn't like polyomino games loves this game there it is done how is it not our game of the year i don't know it might be (laughs) we're not there yet shh don't tell anybody oh that's true we don't know what the top 10 is oh it's coming it's coming it's my number two there you go all right anthony what's up next all right we have best kickstarter or best crowdfunding campaign uh this is campaign specifically that have run in the last year um, or that have shipped in the last year that we found to be particularly user-friendly. Whoa. Right? Yeah. So most crowdfunding campaigns this year, or not this year, in general, in life, in the last decade, um, are more or less manipulative. They're trying to get your money. They (laughs) throw a bunch of, like, early bird crap at you and a bunch of, like, there's a bunch of stuff in there. And we've ranted about crowdfunding in general a lot in the last year. Um, but these ones didn't really bubble up that rant as much. So these games were interesting. They did good things. Um, first up, we have Tantawakan, City of Gods, Deluxe Master Set. And the reason we put this one on the list is because they made it as possible as, I mean, as much as they could. Uh, you could choose which pieces of this you wanted, right? I wanted a lot of the stuff in this campaign, and they made it possible for me to get those things. And to not pay an obscene amount of money, and most importantly, 
that I did not have to buy the five-player expansion to get all the other stuff. So they recognized that some people were not interested in some of those things, and they made it very flexible. They made updates to the campaign. They had freebies that they gave out for months before the campaign. They actually shipped me a scorecard with like that had been laminated and had like a pen with it because I signed up in advance mm-hmm. just being like as a thank you for signing up in advance. So very, very focused on making it a good experience for everybody. And yeah, it's kind of expensive, but it's not as expensive as some other nonsense. So, um, and if you just wanted that box, it was only 18 euros, which is pretty good. <laughs> so uh, next up we have moon uh, again, sinister fish games. I think they're on here every time they have a Kickstarter because they do such a good job. Small box, very packed, lots of content with expansion, very affordable, solid communication. Game always ships on time. Just they do good work. Uh, Through the Desert, this is all play again. Um, And they once again threw it in a Kickstarter with two other games. But this is like one of the, I I won't say Grail games, because I think you can still find old copies of it, but it's hard to find. and they did a really good job um, of keeping it focused, keeping it organized, making it beautiful. And it's super affordable. Like this is a classic Reiner Knizia game. It was only $39. What game of this scope and size is only $39 in 2020? Well, in 2023, Um, all play continues to make their games affordable, accessible. The upgrades are always optional. They don't change gameplay too much. It's great stuff. So good on them. Uh, and last but not least, we have Obsession, the character's expansion. Um, Obsession has just historically been, uh, Kayenta Games has just historically been a company that cares about their backers. They give discounts to people who've backed previous games. If you have a problem, they always side with you. They always give you what you need. They're not going to argue with you or ask you like for eight photographs of everything. <laughs> I had um, Keyforge. I backed their first Kickstarter when it got rebooted and I didn't get everything I ordered in the box. And I told them like, hey, I'm missing these three things. And they're like, "Um, can you get the box and take a photo of everything that was in the box and then a photo of the invoice and then a photo of... And I was like, no, because I've already unpacked it all and it's now put away. And I noticed I didn't have these things. Like, oh, well, we can't help you. I'm like, seriously? (laughs) Dan Helligan with Obsession and Kayenta, he would just send me the stuff because that's the kind of guy he is. Mm -hmm. And I know that because it's happened to me. (laughs) Like I've had stuff that's missing and he just takes care of it. Um, And in this case, we get a full expansion with like a 33% discount and the metal coins, just $39 with minimal shipping. Such a good deal. Um, Great stuff. Yeah, no, it's four. Good. Four great campaigns. What do we think? Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's been, a, again, uh, crowdfunding has always been a challenge. And it, as Anthony, as you said, it's moved sometimes from a challenge to, uh, I don't know, rummaging through our pockets. <laughs> and sometimes it's also the thing that you want, the thing that you love. Dear God, now you have to buy all of it all at once or you will never see it again. Yeah. So it's fantastic. Uh, that these Kickstarter crowdfunding game found campaigns have gone to such extents to ensure that their client base, their customer base, the gamers out there have a tremendous experience from the very start. So yeah. 
we're thankful for all of these and we have all backed these. Some of us have backed one or the other or both. So again, thank you all for making the experience fun and connective to uh, the gamer community. But Anthony, there could only be one best crowdfunding campaign of the year. And that is Obsession, the character's expansion with 7,150 backers pledging $261,000 for the Dowager's Gratitude, the Constable, and the Reverend on Kickstarter. And again, I think one of the amazing things about this, this is pretty much a a one-person show as far as designer and publisher. And you would assume for such a small pop, as in mom and pop kind of company, that you would not get that level of attention, that level of feedback, and that level of care when it comes to purchasing, backing, supporting, and it is all there. And again, it's exceptional. So we are very, very thankful uh, for Obsession, the character's expansion. Yes. All right, Anthony, what's up next? Next, we have best 2.0 release. So in past years, this has been like, hey, they reprinted a game. It's very pretty. Let's talk about it. Uh, This year, all of these nominations, with the exception of one, are legit like 1.5 to 2.0 re-releases of games where we're taking game mechanics and we're saying, let's tweak them, update them, adjust them, make them more modern in some way. And here's a new version of that. And again, these are all games we really enjoyed. So uh, first up, Age of Innovation. This is Terra Mystica (laughs) 1.75, as I mentioned before. Um, So it is kind of taking a lot of the updates and changes made in Gaia Project, which was Terra Mystica in space, and applying them to the fantasy setting, but then giving us like technology elements. And now we have a kind of in-between on Terra Mystica that is focused on innovation and technology. Uh, We have Point City, which is Point Salad, like the mechanic with, you know, on one end, some kind of mechanism, on the other end, some kind of scoring condition. Uh, And now it's a little more complicated in like the city element that you're building out in a tableau. Terraforming Mars, the dice game, managed to take the terraforming and building and management of growing up Mars and turn it into a dice game that plays in 45 minutes. And it felt compelling and engaging and interesting. Um, in a way that like compelled us to play several games in a row uh, at Gen Con. Um, Everdell Far Shore takes the core experience of Everdell and takes it to the sea. Um, we give new resources and new mechanics and new ways to engage with the worker placement elements of the game. Um, and now you are going out on boats and doing things in the ocean. Uh, Heat Pedal to the Metal takes the amazing experience of Flamme Rouge. Um, a bicycle racing game and applies it to car racing. Now, this game came out at the very end of 2022, but we did not talk about it in last year's awards. Um, And it was one of the hot games of 2023. And then the last one is a game that did not really change the gameplay elements at all, did not change the theming, but gave us a very beautiful, highly polished, impressive physical production of a classic. And that is the Raw, the 25th century games um reprint and deluxe edition that launched last year so uh some amazing 2.0 releases and updates uh what do we think again usually as you mentioned it at the beginning anthony usually these 2.0 releases are usually hey there's new artwork or the board is slightly better 
or we've upgraded the pieces. There you go, kids. Have a <laughs> take it outside and kick it around a little bit. But these games certainly are their own game. And that's really great to see that the industry has really matured to the point of not just window dressing, but a full, thoughtful retheme and mechanics. And all these games are tremendously fun to play and played all these games, think these games are all buys and really deserve a lot of attention. And again, want to bring attention to them because certainly we don't want them to be overlooked gems. But Anthony, the best 2.0 release is Age of Innovation. Whoa. <laughs> yes. So uh, this is a game we didn't know about until the middle of the year when Capstone Games announced it. And at the time, I was thinking, okay, we have Terra Mystica and we have Gaia Projects. What does this do that those two games don't do? And I like I walked in circles around the Capstone booth for three days at Gen Con being like, do I want this game? I don't know. I have to put it in my luggage. I don't know. It's the only <laughs> game I could bring home. It's very big. And in the end, I did back it or I did purchase it. And I was devastated. And I realized this is how much I realized I wanted to play the game. I was devastated because my luggage got lost on the way home from Indianapolis to Newark. And eventually I got it like a week later and finally got it home. And I played it immediately because I was like that excited at that point. It had been like 10 days since I bought the game. And you know what? It it does so many interesting things. It is Terra Mystica, right? Um, in the same way Gaia Project is Terra Mystica. But it changes things in a way that improves the core elements of Terra Mystica in almost every possible way, right? We have asymmetry with the factions now that helps balance it all, right? You're drafting different elements and kind of building out your personal player board with different factions and locations. And like the faction you choose does not impact where you, what type of terrain you're going to work on. Those things are drafted together. Um, you have innovations that you're going to pick up throughout the game. You have these these upgrades and abilities that you're going to pick up throughout the game. And these things all help build a more asymmetrical focus and you know approach to how you're building that Terra Mystica had, but felt solvable. And some people did solve it, and then we knew certain factions weren't as good. I don't get that feeling from Age of Innovation. I just get a feeling of freshness and interesting gameplay that still feels like Terra Mystica at the same time. So um, I've really enjoyed this. I've played a lot of it uh since i got it home in august and it to me is the best re-implementation the best 2.0 of the year and i think that's very high praise considering gaia project was already out there yeah and it are i mean again obviously it's even higher praise because terra mystica was such a a phenomenal game and kind of like a modern day classic so modern day classic and then amazing retheme, upgrade, space theme. And then somehow Capstone Games was, I don't even know what the words are here, but they thought they could do it even better, or they could thought they could dare to do it again, but differently. And I mean, how could it be better? How could it be better? I mean, and somehow just... It is better. Better! Damn it, guys. Clay, you're so good. Just... Knocked it out of the park. Really, really glad. Yeah, they took a brilliant design and they polished down all the rough edges and they made it better. Uh, Gaia Project is different. 
It's it's good and I like it more, but it's different. Mm-hmm. This isn't different. It's just better. Yes. All right, Anthony, what's our next category? Next up, we got best solo game. Uh, this year was a great year for solo games. Uh, I narrowed it down to just five, but there were many more that could have been on this list. So first up, we have a Ronienberger Canal, a Spielworks game that was launched on GameFound. Um, this is Uwe Rosenberg, who has made many, 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 many worker placement type games, um, all of which play solo. And it's an interesting one or two player experience um, using the kind of wheels from uh, Glass Road. Uh, Mr. President is a big, sprawling, ridiculously long epic of a game from GMT Games that I will be talking about on a future episode because of the time I've had with it over the holidays. Um, but it is an amazing experience in which you are playing through like almost every possible component of the presidency. And there's a lot. It's a busy job. Um, for Northwood is a solo trick-taking game, which... If you just said that to me, I'd be like, that's not possible. And then I played this, and guess what? It is. Uh, and it works quite well. Um, Siberion is the new Shadi Torbay game. And honestly, after the last one, uh, Stellarion, I was a little hesitant on this one, but I backed, I picked it up anyways. And here it is. Um, I have not formally reviewed it on the podcast. I might do that in a future episode. But I will say it is a very much a return to form uh, from previous Shadi Torbay games. And then Ancient Realm is a very clever uh, card placement game from Button Shy Games in which where you place the card, how they overlap each other will determine what you're able to do and how you're able to do it. 18 cards, a lot, a lot, a lot of very clever, interesting, difficult decisions to be made. So we have five very solid solo experiences here. Yeah, and then really outrageous that we talked about the strategic heavy board games being so well and solo games again doing so incredibly well and i I gotta say something here too a little bit we've talked about this and i think it's just fair to say there's a lot of games that have solo modes but these games are solo games like they are built from the ground up more or less sometimes to to be a solo game and they do it exceptionally well. And it's not something that's just like, you know, glued on at the end. Yeah. Iranian Burger Canal can be played with two people. Yeah. And I feel like that works. Siberian can technically be played with two people as all shoddy Torbay games can, mm-hmm. but no one does that. The rest of these pure solo experience. Yeah. I just think cause so many Kickstarters out there these days, crowdfunding games and just a lot of games out there. And I understand people want to be able to play games solo. But I think that right. a lot of the solo modes and a lot of the solo games that or games that they say you could play solo, it's an afterthought. It's something that's mm-hmm. slapped on on the end and it's not built into the creation. Yeah, I mean, if you look at our best strategic gameplay, there's 10 games in there. All but one of them have a solo mode. Yes. And I've played the solo mode of almost all of those and they're all good, but we didn't nominate any of them for this award because they're not designed for that. Yes, exactly. All right, Anthony, so our best solo game of the year? It's Siberian. What? It is. Yeah, Shadi Torbay, back to full form. This is a fantastic, it's one of my favorites, actually. Like, it's up there with Onirim and Sylveon, uh, maybe Castellion. It's, it's high the last. Yeah. Yeah, like, Stellarion was bad. It was just not a good game. <laughs> I reviewed that last year, maybe the year before. I gave it a dodge. 
I've never given one of his games a dodge before, and it just it fell flat for me. Um, Arion was fine; it was like forgettable. Natilion was fine, borderline okay. But it's been a while since we had a really good one, and so I was hesitant for this. I bought it; it came in. I had it for almost a month. I didn't play it because I'm like, I don't know if it's any good. And I finally got around to playing it over the holidays, and I was like, actually, <laughs> this is amazing. Like the the way that you have to manage the decisions that you're making and the way you have an upgrade tree that the game allows you to kind of build on that makes you more efficient in different ways. And you have to work with that efficiency. It's so clever and so interesting. And I've played it now uh, more than a dozen times. and Every single play has been different in how I approached the challenges presented to me. So, um, and if, like any Shadow Torbay game, it comes with several expansions in the box. And these ones are good. They're interesting and good. Sometimes they're not. But these ones are actually really good. Um, if you've never played any of Shadow Torbay's games, Onirim is still the best place to start. I would say this one is not too far off. It's 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 up there in like the top three or four of like the eight that have been released. So highly recommend it. Had a blast with it. Iranian Burger Canal was a close second in this regard. But that game does actually work pretty well at two. Um, and the solo game is a lot like a lot of Rosenberg games. So this one, Siberian, just really drove it home for me as a pure solo experience. It's quick. It's accessible. It's very fulfilling in a way that I haven't felt since Onirim um, almost 10 years ago now. So there you go. Excellent. All right, Anthony, what's our next category? Next up, we have Best Expansion. These are the games that make our other games better. <laughs> so we've got uh, five games or expansions that came out in 2023 that improved upon games that we have generally found to be very good. Mm -hmm. So Ark Nova Marine Worlds is the first expansion for Ark Nova. This one added uh, a bunch of new cards. Uh, it also added Marine Animals, which is an interesting twist to the game because you get like a new way to engage with your map and a new set of tiles to, to lay out um there's a fourth university so there's kind of new options new university board there's not a lot in the box but the things in there are interesting uh cascadia landmarks adds a new mechanic to uh cascadia um which is my favorite game um from several years ago and it allows you to create kind of a, a more sprawling approach to the habitats, right? So you have landmarks that you can place in your space. It's not just, here's a tile, here's an animal on the tile. Now you have landmarks that you add to the tiles. Uh, Beyond the Sun, Leaders of the New Dawn adds an, like an anarchy module <laughs> to this game, which is crazy. Um, and also adds an interesting solo experience to the game that was not there before. Like the original game felt like one that should work with a solo experience. It just did not exist. And now you do have like a solo mode for the game. Um, the one kind of ding on the game, the expansion, is that those two things were not compatible. Uh, the galactic anarchists threatening the solo players and then the like upgrades to the research and exploration side are separate from each other. You can't like blend them together. That's a little frustrating. Um, Darwin's Journey Fireland expansion. Like, which Chris, I know you famously have said is the only way to play Darwin's Journey. So, uh, it takes a, a, a game that's low play and makes it much, much better. And then 
Iki Akabono um, is an expansion expansion I never thought would exist because Iki was a game released presumably only in Japan. It was on Kickstarter, but not many people backed it, but only in Japan for seven or eight years. Finally, sorry, we are sorry. We are French picked it up and brought it to the West in a big box version. And then like the next year they have an expansion for it, which is amazing. So Kota Yamada um, brings us a new location in Edo. We get the bridge of Nihonbashi um, expanding the main street, adding these boats and these different things to like the, the rondelle, which uh, works really well. It just makes the game more interesting, gives you more decisions to make. So lots of games expanding on what we already have. Absolutely. A lot of great games this year. And again, expansions has always been my thing because I love that DLC. And I think that it brings the game hopefully to the next level. And I think when you make that initial purchase for the core game, do you feel like it's enough? Do you feel like it could be more? Could it include the dreaded fifth player, Anthony? Ah, boo. I mean, we didn't. None of these have a. (laughs) No, none of these have a fifth player because I wouldn't allow it on the list. It's not happening. Yeah, so we've talked about this in the past. We have a a great episode about this where we talk about the different types of expansions that come out because they they typically fall in like a certain small number of categories. And the one that really stands out above and beyond the rest is when it substantially makes the base game better. And again, we see a lot of great expansions here. They're all buys across the board. But if you ask me, Chris, what expansion do I need in order to take my game from good to great? That's going to be, Anthony, Darwin's Journey Fireland Expansion. Now, Darwin's Journey is a good game. It it has a lot of really interesting features as far as a worker placement game that utilizes the seal system to really upgrade your worker to be able to do a lot more things. That being said, your worker, let's be honest, is kind of really only going to hit two out of the four areas because the main map that you're traveling through land or sea is pretty limited. Fireland expansion opens up that map with new ways to travel, an additional additional ships, additional explorers to go out there. So the whole movement by land and movement by sea now finally becomes extremely valuable to the player, and it just opens up the game in a tremendous new way. Now, there's a lot of mini expansions that, that you could pick up that go along with this, like Darwin himself is this kind of like super character that comes into play and i would honestly recommend all the little mini expansions not because you necessarily like need more stuff but it makes the game better but again fireland uh, expansion the new board opens the game up with new features new ways to play and that bottom travel board really finally makes it feel like you're actually taking a journey instead of just heading to the museum and just tracking some animals really quickly. So, yeah, Anthony. Darwin's Journey! Fireland expansion. Darwin. 100%. Yeah, it's it's the game that makes... It's the expansion that makes its game better the most. It does. If that makes sense. And I think that's something to be said. Again, all of these expansions are good add-ons. Darwin's Journey, Fireland expansion, makes the base game exceptionally more playable than the basic. 
Right. Now, Anthony, of course, that finally leads us to the category of all categories, the the of all thes, the game of the year. All right. Definitive article being definitive here. We have uh, nine other games we're going to talk about first. Whoa. Before we get to our game of the year. That's how definitive uh, the definitive is. Yeah, yeah. We've nailed down exactly where these games land for the year of 2023. Mm-hmm. Um, we have 10 games. We're going to run through them. We're going to alternate. And uh, then we're going to land on number one. Ooh. So I'm going to kick us off with number 10. And it is a game we talked about earlier. Uh, Iranian Burger Canal. This is Uwe Rosenberg's. Unfortunately, because it went through Spielworks and GameFound, not very many people have played this game. But it is a two-player or one-player dueling game in which you are building out the canals in Brandenburg of the early to mid-19th century, which is often what Rosenberg's games are, very specific German locations. Um, it has a lot of things in common with Cave versus Cave, right? You have kind of a, a worker placement element to it. You have a tableau in front of you that you're building out. But the interesting thing is you're taking these cards from the tableau, you're placing them into your own personal board, you are then building these different routes around them of different types of materials based on the materials that you have. And then you're, you, those materials would determine what the cards do and how they activate. So your basic mechanics are very simple. There's just the seven or eight worker placement locations on the main board. But how you actually organize and make everything work in your personal tableau is going to be deeply, deeply dependent on where you've placed the different types of uh, the paths, right? You could have a dirt path, you could have roads, you could have railroads, you could have canals. Uh, They all cost different resources. You have the glass road resource wheel, um, which is kind of secondary to the whole thing, but it's an interesting way to present it. And it all works seamlessly. If you backed the GameFound campaign, you have four different decks of cards that are used then to build this out. If you only have the base game, it's two decks of cards. Um, It is a quick, accessible, deeply strategic experience in a way that only Uwe Rosenberg seems to be able to pull off in a two-player game. And I I absolutely fell in love with it um, over the winter break. Um, It is my number 10, our number 10 of the year. It's actually higher on my personal list, but it's our number 10 of the year, Iranian Burger Canal. All right. Well, that brings us to our number nine game. Uh, This is a small single box card game called Sea Salt and Paper. Uh, It is the looks of the game is it has these beautiful origami style illustrations that is giving us all the feel of a marine universe that we're kind of dipping into and playing along with. So. Basically, the game comes down to matching these pairs of cards. You can pull from a draw pile or you can pull for what cards are available. And whether it's 1v1 or if you're playing with multiple players at the table, you are trying to get sets of cards together that work together. And when they work together, they're going to give you special abilities. So right from the very start, you feel like you're doing something a lot of fun, right? You're making combos. The combos are snowballing together. 
Maybe you are pulling a, a using two crabs to dig deep into the sand to pull out another card. That card matches with another sailboat. So you'll be able to take another action to pull another card. And as you're pulling these cards together, you're building up your tableau points, but you also have a secret hand of cards that will, you know, based on a particular set collection, will score you points towards the end of the game. And there's multiple set collections that you can pull together. So you are competing with your opponents for those set collections. You're competing with your opponents for those pairs. And then on top of which, there are mermaids in the game. So while you're scoring all your points, trying to beat out the other you know, opponents at the table, you can also shoot the moon, You know, taking a turn from like playing hearts at the table. If you collect four mermaids, you score 100 points, and that's the game. You win. So... Even if you are behind in that game majorly, you can pull a win out. And it's so amazing and so satisfying to be able to do. Now, final scoring is a lot of fun because when you reach seven points that are necessary to end that particular round, you can decide to stop, end that game or that particular round. And then everyone counts up their points and they score their points and you're trying to get to a certain point total. Or you could press your luck and let every other opponent take one additional turn. If they're not able to beat your score, then you score additional points based upon the colors of your cards. So as you're collecting sets, as you're collecting uh, pairs, you're also collecting colors of the cards to score additional points. Do you press your luck or do you stop it quick? Each turn, each particular round is going to kind of like put that decision for you. And again, mermaids. Small card game, a lot of fun, plays well, 1v1 or multiple players, families, or hardcore gamers. I think this game has a, a, a lot of staying power to it. Also has an expansion, not necessarily, but also has an expansion to it. And I think we're going to see this game for many years to come as a classic. That is Sea Salt and Paper. Wonderful. All right, number eight on the list is a game we talked about already on this episode uh, fairly extensively. Age of Innovation. So this is this is one that I was like, should we put this on the top 10? But like, I couldn't not fight for it because yes, it's a re-implementation of Terra Mystica. Yes, it's like the third game in the series. Fourth, if you count Terra Nova. But everything it does differently, everything it adds to this experience only makes it better. Like, to some degree, almost exponentially better, right? You still have like, priest type tracks you still have the map that's static you still have your player board where you're taking stuff off and unlocking different abilities and incomes but you have a more asymmetrical approach to all of that at the start of the game you have these different innovations technologies type things you can add like make your experience unique and help you kind of build out the way you approach the map and it just adds variability and flexibility and exploration in a way that terra mystica didn't quite have uh, baked into the game and really it's just it's something taking 10 years of terra mystica and saying what can we do based on what we now know about this game based on the millions of plays that have been done to make it better and we get this age of innovation which is better um and it is our number eight game of the year excellent game our number seven game is a game that got a lot of attention before anyone knew anything at all about it because it was a splatter game and splatter 
you know, produces these crazy, heavy, complicated, crunchy games that we all love to get to the table. And they're such a small company and their games are so rare and esoteric that when they announced Horseless Carriage and their their own particular backer campaign, people just backed it. Anthony, you just backed it, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I haven't played it yet, but... I- <laughs> No, I've, I have played it, but it's one of those games like it sat on my shelf for a while, but I was like, it's a splatter game. I'm going to get it. I'm going to play it eventually. I'm going to love it. So I backed it sight unseen. Yeah. So I got to play this a bunch because I'm a big splatter head. I know that's a thing. I just started that. So there. Uh, so splatter knows their games. They know their crunch. And this time they were doing something a little different. It was the idea of building cars. Now you have to imagine like now we know all the basic mechanics that go into cars and all the parts it's supposed to have. Well, what if you were building cars for the very first time and you were trying to meet this brand new customer base who knew nothing at all about cars and you had to set up a shop in order to put the right pieces together to meet what the customers were looking for and manage that research and development at the same time? Well, you're going to get some polyominoes on the table to link everything up properly so that you can build out your car and ship that car out while at the same time competing with other people at the table to ship those cars out to the customers before those customers get to, you know, all their cars delivered to them first. You're managing all different research and technology. The shapes are all different. So you have to think about, does this fit particularly in my plant? And as you're building up the pieces, you're getting more and more so you can build different types of cars throughout the game. For a splatter, it is colorful. It is fun. It's got these really cool rubber band uh, squares and rectangles that designate where and, and your market happens to be. It's fun. It's a little fiddly, but it's a great game to get to the table. And it's a great game to add to splatter's category. Uh, Anthony, you know it, and I know it. Everyone knows it. It's Horseless Carriage. Great game. All right, number six is a game that I I was excited for, but I did not expect to make it onto our top ten list, uh, and that is Star Wars: The Deck Building Game. Uh, this is uh, from Fantasy Flight Games, which is admittedly, and I hate saying it, a shell of its former self. It's not a company that produces a lot of games anymore. Mm-hmm. And so when they announced this game and then they released it and then played it, and I was like, oh, this is actually amazing. So um, it is very similar to Star Realms in many ways, uh, but it does everything in a very Star Wars way, right? You have kind of the Rebels versus the Empire, Light versus the Dark. Um, you have a central deck of cards that then feeds into the the market and that you could either side could get the cards they need out of that market, but you could also bounty hunt or capture the other cards from the other players so that they can't buy them. So no matter what is in the market, you always are able to do something with the resources in front of you and build your deck and compete with your opponent. So you always have interesting decisions like, do I build up my own deck? There's a good card for me, or do I take out the card that they want to make sure they're not able to build up their deck? And it plays so smoothly and quickly and interestingly. Um, it's a game that I, I think the first time I played it was with you, Chris, mm-hmm. on my birthday. Actually, you came down for my birthday. Yeah. And then I've now played it like maybe two dozen times with my kids. They love it. So 
Um, it's a fantastic two-player only game. I hope we get expansions. I'm holding my breath in this one because it's it's Fantasy Flight and they have a CCG coming out in like a month. But um, Star Wars, the deck building game is amazing. And uh, I'm just excited that it exists. It doesn't seem like something that this company would produce at this point in time. And yet they did. And it's great. And I think that it's a, we should also say too, like, I can't imagine the amount of money, person power, research and development that must have went into the CCG that recently came yeah. out. I mean, it's got to be extensive because that is like, that's just major money, right? If, if you can get a CCG off the ground and like into the system, you are set. Yeah. That makes all the kind of sense in the world. And you know what? I'd rather play the deck builder. And it's as cheap as can be. And I and again, it's an amazing game. Inexpensive, fun, dynamic, and I never felt like I lost anything. Like I feel like this is a great game. Small box, but great game. And I'd play this any day versus the CCG. And I think that's a testament to how great it is. Yeah. Yeah. I've played the CCG at conventions and it's very, very good. But knowing the cost differential and knowing the accessibility, I, I agree. Absolutely. All right. Well, that leads us to our number five game. And this game is also a bit of a surprise. It was highly anticipated because it looked fantastic. And it was a company that we know and love very much. It's Board and Dice's Barcelona. You get to take on the role of city planners in 19th century of Barcelona, working on a brand new district. So this game, and Anthony and I really appreciate city building games. I don't know why. Maybe it was my years of architecture back in the day. But there's something about developing, building up a city to manage a population, to serve their needs. It, it just it meets that kind of crunchy Euro-ness that I love. And it's gorgeous. It's such a gorgeous game based on such a gorgeous city that's also very much based upon meeting everyone's needs, ensuring a little bit of, you know, uh, social justice in a time and place of eh, some class warfare with a rich report pushing out the poor. This one took into consideration everyone's needs. It is a bit of a point salad game, which is a lot of fun to bring back to the table. And it just, every action that you take does a lot of cool things. And it's been a long time since we've seen a game like that. I think it's even been a long time since Fell put a game out like this. And this just rocks. I mean, looks great, plays great, thematically rich, and mechanically strong. Barcelona. 100%. Yeah, this is a game that I've gotten a chance to play a, a few times over the last couple months. And it is a lot of fun because, yeah, every action you take does stuff. Yeah. Right? Like, and... I don't always want a game like that. That's just like potato chips. Like <laughs> every action I take, it's like, oh, that feels good. I get a little <laughs> shot of, you know, um, but sometimes you do. And this is a very good version of that. And uh, very enjoyable. All right. Number four on the list is a game that I spent famously several weeks on this podcast learning how to play. Uh, thankfully, I like it. <laughs> Otherwise, those weeks would have been lost. Uh, and that's Voidfall. Um, this game is a little controversial, I think, because people got it. They tried to set it up and play it and learn it. And it was a bit of a headache because it's overwrought. There's a lot in the box. There's a lot of rules, a lot of modes baked in that don't necessarily need to be there. 
certain things are significantly different than the way they're based. Like the rule book has rules in it for multiple ways to play the game, um, all kind of blended together. And it's difficult to learn it because of that. But once you get through all of those barriers, you have this sprawling, epic, engaging, economic Euro game. And it's not a 4X space game. And it's on them for saying that it was. I don't know. Even now on Board Game Geek, it says Space 4X game. It's not a Space 4X game. It is a Euro game set in the theme of a Space 4X game. And that part is great. And I love it because it is very heavy. It's very dense. There's a lot going on. Every decision you make has a ripple effect throughout the game space and the decision space of the game. And once you get through all those hurdles and learn the game, the iconography makes sense and it works and it plays smoothly. It doesn't at first because there's a lot of it, but it all is intuitive to a degree once you get through that. Like I did not find myself checking on the second and third play. I did not really check the iconography list very often, which even for Barcelona, which doesn't have that much iconography, I found myself checking it occasionally, right? Because they're not as intuitive as a game like this. Um, it's it's a mess. It's sprawling. It's got a billion things going on. But when they all come together and you get a chance to sit down and kind of run through it, it's just so much fun. It's it's fulfilling. You get a lot out of it um, for, for the time you put in. And for me, that's what I look for in a game. So David Turchi, Nigel Buckle, uh, I... I can't imagine how this thing came together, but it somehow did. And the experience I got out of it was incredible. Uh, so Voidfall, that is our number four. Our number three game is no Overlook Gem here. Uh, it is Rebuilding Seattle. Now, uh, it would be easy to overlook um, this great little Euro game because it is once again a game that brings a lot of mechanics to the table. So when you talk about rebuilding Seattle, you're like, look, there's polyominoes and you got to build up the city. So you got some polyominoes, you got some city building, and you also have action selection and you have a market that you have to deal with. And you also have a lot of cue pushing as far as ensuring uh, economically your, your, your population's benefiting. And there's also laws that come into play that give you, um, you know, special benefits and the boards are asymmetrical. And you're like, huh, yeah, pass. But let me tell you, <laughs> you sit down and play it. It is smooth. It is streamlined. It is elegant. It is fun. It's colorful. It's dynamic without at any time feeling overwhelming. The actions flow naturally. It makes a lot of thematic sense. And at the end of the game, you do, in fact, feel like you rebuilt Seattle. You have a beautiful area of shops and industries and housing and special buildings that come into play. And you got to win or got to play successfully, oftentimes, in a very different way or a very different strategic way than other people at the table. And that's always a lot of fun to see and a lot of fun to play. Rebuilding Seattle, number three. Amazing. 
right. Our number two game of 2023 is Nucleum. Nucleum, uh, designed by Simone Luciani and David Turchi. Uh, so it's yet another game on the list from David Turchi. Is a game of many things. <laughs> There's no easy way to describe this game because it's doing so much. But it's a heavy Euro game in which you are each representing different industrialists in this kind of fantastical version of the 19th century in Eastern Germany, where some someone has invented a way of using uranium to heat water and perpetuate a nuclear reaction and therefore kickstart the nuclear age about 100 years earlier than it actually happened, right? Um, in the game itself, though, you're doing this combination of managing the map and managing your own personal space. And Chris, you mentioned this in, in pretty great detail of like, you have these different action tiles. They often have two different actions on them. If you place them on the board, you still get to take those actions, but you lose that tile for the rest of the yeah. game. And now it, and now it's a train route, right? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a route building game, but you just gave up your actions. So don't throw one out there that you really want. If you keep it, it will help you generate income. You still get those actions, but you're not building out your roots on the map. And now you don't have access to things that you need. So you're constantly have to balance. Like, when do I do that? When do I do this? How do I get more of these tiles, which is an action in the game. And if I have that action available, are the tiles in the market tiles? I actually want to take, right? So maybe I wait for someone else to clear the market a little bit. Eh, I don't like those either. Like, a lot of interesting decisions constantly clashing with each other to create your own engine here. And the thing about the game that's so interesting is everybody has their own engine, right? You all have your own invention boards. They all have their own peculiar, like when you upgrade your technology, you're getting your own different technologies, your own special abilities, your own one-time upgrades, your own end game scoring. And you know, there's four of them that are unique to the game. We're getting more of them in an expansion here in a couple months. But at any point in time, you could do something unique to you that's different from everybody else that kind of changes your trajectory in the game. And I love things like that. The, the asymmetry builds as the game builds based on the tiles that you purchase and the way you upgrade your tech and the buildings that you decide to put on the map. And you're in a different place than everybody else. So... Nucleum is engaging, it's interesting, it's creative in a way that we want Euros to be, and is therefore been hitting the table repeatedly for weeks now. Um, and that's our number two. All right, Anthony, that leaves us to our number one game. And in fact, our game of the year, or as we say, the game of the year. The definitive. There you go. So our definitive Game of the Year from Board Gamers Anonymous for 2023 is Hegemony. Lead your class to victory. We are always looking for epic experiences where we get to make interesting decisions at the table. And games that are fluid and dynamic do not feel like single player solitaire at the table. Something that teaches us and educates us. Something that plays truly thematic in such a way that you always don't have to go back to the rulebook to figure out what you should be doing next because what you're doing follows 
what your character class happens to be. We always look for these big games. Typically, they're giant space operas with endless miniatures at the table and eight to 12 hour gameplay sessions. And we love those experiences. But sometimes you want that epicness. You want that asymmetrical, that true asymmetrical gameplay, not just like hey, you you get a plus one here and I get a plus one there. Yay. Like you want something that really makes you feel like you are part of that larger world and you're playing an intricate part. Hegemony leads your class to victory. It's an asymmetric car-driven board game in which one to four players, and I should mention excellent solo mode, but I'll leave that for Anthony to kind of talk about. So you're playing different economic social classes. It's not political. You're not going to see any particular candidates or particular ideologies, but you have the capitalist class and they run companies and they're necessary for workers to produce, you know, goods and services. Um, and, and the capitalists, you know, profit from them. So they're there to promote and to make a lot of profit. The working class has a totally different kind of situation. Um, they're workers that exchange their labors uh, for money to cover basic needs, and their goal is prosperity for these workers and to cover as much as their needs as possible. Because again, they're the working class. The middle class is a little different. Um, they are typically connected with the capitalist class as far as the companies that they fund. So you'll be able to gain income and resources, but also at the same time, you are also part of that worker class and you're there to increase your own personal prosperity. Finally, the state, the government is looking to help the people, but also to to be legitimate, right? To be its own power player at the table. Um, It's trying to keep all the classes in balance because that's how it scores points. And it also tries to deal with the different social issues and laws that come into play. So throughout the game, you have this beautiful tableau in which you have your own unique characters, cards, and actions that you could take in which you're going to score points based upon your own particular goal set. Pretty simple and straightforward for this epic kind of 4X kind of game. No, there's not Extermination Explorer, but as far as the competition that is engaged here, you're going to have seven cards. You're going to get to play five. So it's basically 25 cards. You're going to be able to play that round. Each of those cards make tremendous impact on all of the other classes that are in play. So the game state changes as the game goes on organically. So there's not one path to victory, but there is a path that benefits your class best. So you need the other classes to participate and do well, just not as well as you are doing. So there is that kind of dynamic of we're kind of cooperating as a co-op game, but it's 100% competitive for that particular class. Great artwork, great games, uh, great thematic flair, and the game itself comes with a lot of information about how this actually really operates. What a tremendous accomplishment. And it was also a very great Kickstarter as well. Yeah, this is one of those games that like, I backed it very quickly because I was like, if this works, this will be amazing. Yeah. And 
part of me always was like, I hope it works, but I don't know because <laughs> yeah. it's so ambitious. It's such an ambitious experience. And the designers on this, they have a pedigree in the industry, but it's not nothing like this. No. Uh, and it worked. It works so well. It's, it's such an amazing experience. And it's like asymmetrical gameplay at this level easily can tip into the level, you know, to the point of impossible to teach, impossible to engage with, impossible yeah. to play. And it doesn't quite get to that level, and therefore it is engaging in a way that very few games are. Like, this is up there with Root for me in terms of an asymmetrical experience that just works at a basic level. And it, I don't want to, like, raise it to the level of, like, it teaches you something, but it does feel like you're engaging with the system the way the system is designed to be engaged with. And that's unique in a lot of different ways. I want to see more games like this. They explore something interesting. They explore something important. And yet you're still playing a game that is engaging and interesting and fun. Yeah. And again, I, I think, and we've, you know, we've had our gameplays ourselves. We've talked to our friends who've gotten us to the table. We've read and seen a lot of reviews. And I think that's important too, because this game should have such a niche audience that it, it should almost be, you know, an overlooked gem. And yet, this game has been played and reviewed by so many different types of people as far as like what game styles they're really interested in. And especially since we, this is a, a crunchy game, but a lot of, you know, I wouldn't say it's like gateway gamers, but a lot of gamers who typically don't gravitate towards this level, this level of crunch of game have played it, have loved it and are going out of their way to get it to the table. It is a substantial teach, but that just goes to show you how great this game is because people are worth people find it worth doing again and again. So, Anthony, uh, that is Board Gamers Anonymous Game of the Year for 2023. Woo! We hope that you all enjoyed our list. We hope that you get all of these games to the table. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll see you all. I'll see you at the table. Take care, everyone. Bye. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.